I know, I promise, on this podcast, we would never talk about, like, the, the lame, like, nerds, mainstream nerd stuff, like movies, announcements, and press releases, but, you know, coming out of Comic-Con, there was just such big, big news, big, huge bombs that, that you know, there's just something that got me so excited for, like, I have to talk about it, and, and you know what, if you don't like it, tough, alright, there's a lot of, I'm sure, you know, there's a bunch of Marvel news, there's a bunch of, like, you know, there's trailers for, like, Shazam and all these things. But I just want to tell you right now, the biggest thing everyone should be paying attention to is that in a teaser for Season 3 of Picard, Worf has four pips. And the significance of that is that in the, uh, that era of Trek, the late 24th century, you know, post-DS9 uh, Nemesis Voyager... According to the rank system, four pips means he's a captain. My man Worf is finally a captain. Phil, what are your thoughts on that? I have no thoughts because I don't understand a single word you just said. Yes, of course not. Because, Phil, you you spend all your time watching stupid sports and cheering on cities to lose for uh, for pure (laughs) tribalism. While people like me get caught up into the superior intellectual... Uh, quality entertainment and TV uh-huh. discourse that is Star Trek. So right, but wait, isn't Star Trek also? Because I mean, William Shatner was like, "When did Star Trek get political?" And it's like, "Wait, weren't you there?" First of all, there, William Shatner just got off the deep end. He, I'm not gonna get into that. Um, <laughs> second of all, he was mostly complaining about like how John Roddenberry would like hate the current Trek, which is mm-hmm. like. If you know anything... First of all, he's kind of talking out of his ass. Second of all, if you know your Roddenberry, he's responsible for a lot of bad things in Star Trek as well. Like, the mm. full first season of TNG is... A lot of it was his fault. He had a rule saying, you know, if he has this, like, peaceful utopia, nobody has conflict, right? But in TNG, mm. he took it to the point where, like, no, nobody... Like, when I say no conflict, I mean nobody ever has any kind of conflict. Like, everyone just gets along. And we're like... That sounds... Terribly boring. Yeah, exactly. So how do you how do you tell compelling drama without conflict? And right. So speaking of promotion, we have a comic to promote today. <laughs> yes, we do. Woo, it's been a long time coming for this one. And that's a as a of all the segues, it might have been the biggest stretch. Yeah, that, that was a very big stretch. Um, I Honestly, I thought we were going to go a little bit longer, but, you know, you just want to get right into the meat and potatoes. I'm here for it. Yeah, so this is comic on Webtoon called, uh, some action comic called Black Ghost. And I don't know who the writer or the artist is, but they're they're pretty damn good, especially this writer. He's, he's, he seems really handsome on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so... I don't even know how to re- how to respond to that, but yes, uh, back to this this uh, web comic, right? It's called uh, Black Ghost, and it's um, by this group called Ginseng Robot. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. I I'm I'm losing my words for the first time ever. Like it's it's so crazy. I mean, because I'm I'm okay. So first off and foremost, if you can't tell by the by the dick flute solo that Eric just gave moments ago, um, it is. A comic uh, created by us, right? Um, Eric had uh, written and uh, had written the script. I drew it out, and then we had gotten our former professor, uh, Ket, to do the colors, Uh, right? Yep. And we'll we will uh, hopefully have him on next couple weeks. We can talk more about that process. Uh, Right. Definitely, definitely hire this man, everyone. He is worth every penny and then some for your coloring needs. Right. And um, he he did a lot like as as a you know pencil inker guy. I'm not the biggest fan of coloring. I can do it. I'm just not the biggest fan of it. And um, having Ket do the colors for the work, like yo, he he really elevated it to the next level. So like I was really appreciate I was really appreciative of that. On that, here we are doing our shameless shameless self promotion of our own comic. If yep. any of you doesn't want to hear that, then feel free to walk away <laughs> on, our, on our shameless self-promote. But, you know, we're at the beginning. We got to hustle. Um, we were originally going to have Kent on earlier so he could ask us the questions because it would be easier. 
<laughs> instead of us <laughs> interviewing ourselves. But uh, that didn't work out. We'll have him on later at some point. So we'll just we'll try to avoid this self-interviewing awkward as much as we can. So for those who don't know, uh, the past several months, Webtoon, the Webtoon, which is the Webtoon's platform, had this big announced this big contest called the Call to Action Contest, which is people can submit an action comic uh, for Webtoons, and they'll pick out 10 winners to get cash prizes. And on top of that, the top three, not only do they get huge cash money, uh, they go, I think, 20K, 30K, and 50K, they get an offer from Webtoon to become an original series, which for those who don't know, it's essentially like getting published. Webtoon will provide financial support to creator as well as promotion and editorial support. Like that's what the the webtoon editors are for to oversee it. And this is something that me and Phil we've had this comic in the works on webtoon already, and we thought, hey, we might as well just enter it, use use that for this contest. Exactly. So um, all it did was essentially expedite our uh, work process into getting it done faster to get within the uh, the confines of the of the contest. Yeah. So they, as we're recording, July thirty first at uh, four thirty Pacific time, the contest will close in an hour and a half, uh, and then August is the judging period. And September, the end of September, they announced the winners. We were bringing this up not only to talk to a cool theory to give you an insider's look at the process of making webtoon but audience engagement is actually one of the metrics they use to to pick to to judge so mm-hmm. everyone i hate to be that guy but like you know smash that like button share subscribe rate, <laughs> tell your friends comment uh, yeah uh well if you want i'm not gonna i'm gonna tell you right now i'm not gonna read the comments that that part of the job is fails yes i will i will shoulder the shoulder the burden of uh the the comments yeah but as much as it kills me every time to say all that stuff like we have to because like i said it's literally literally part of the part of the judging criteria um so where, so where should we start phil um i guess i guess we're uh, yeah, or what well, we should probably let's go through the comic that's that's that's, that's probably the best way to start Okay, so yeah, sure. Let's go go ahead and go through the comic. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and bring it up. Oh, okay. So this is on Webtoon. It's live right now. You can find it under the categories of action and historical. Uh, right. Series called Black Ghost. The episode title Black Ghost called Entry because uh, I see we saw a lot of entries doing that, and I guess it's to make make it easier for the editors to find. Uh, so right. Open and though. um. Another way before we get into that too, another thing that I've realized, which is makes no sense to me, is during the search engine, like typing in "Black Ghost" brings up uh, a different comic called "Black Ghost" about a literal black ghost, um, <laughs> as well as like a as well as like a bunch of other things too um, that ha- don't have "black" or "ghost" in its title. So honestly, the easiest way to search for this uh, webtoon would be to type in the um, the group name "Ginseng Robot." Um, and it would it would be much much easier to find. Oh man, I did another another comic for the same day. Please tell me it's not more popular. Yeah, but it's 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 a it's a canvas a canvas webtoon uh, focused on comedy, uh, dark comedy. All right, well, yeah, you know, check our our comic. We're not we're not that one, guys. We're not that one. Everyone else. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it opens up. Uh, it's an opening narration. You know. Uh, the Marne River, France, 1918. And it's uh, we see this soldier waking up. But it's from the soldier's POV of uh, the soldier of a gas mask. And they're in the trench. And there's uh, the gas attack. That was pretty common and horrific during World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes through. We see him going through the trench and seeing all these horrible things. Like he sees another soldier whose mask is not working. And then... Uh, the the superior, at least it's not saying this. It's not saying in the comic, but Rodimus the superior gets stabbed by a German soldier, and then there's a brief tuffle in excuse. And what's cool is gonna be really normally I I have to keep the compliments to the minimum because it's gonna I'm gonna be praising myself. 
<laughs> this is all from the point of view of the the soldier wearing the gas mask that we're seeing through his eye holes. Yes, and um, it's funny because I've I've given this to like other people to read and stuff, and um, it is one of their one of their favorite aspects of this opening because like it automatically draws you, the reader, in. Um, looking through the eyes of the soldier. Um, <clears throat> you get... are literally in issues. Right, like getting um, the idea of the horrors of war and um, you know going going through it. So I, I thought that was very successful on um, our part that we were able to like immediately draw draw the reader in. Yep, and then it uh, then it skips forward. There's a little bit of a last piece about the fight the German soldier, and then it jumps to another black narration box, Chinatown, San Francisco, 1920. Very different from what we just seen. We see. Uh, this looks like this shop, and there's two white policemen kind of ransacking it, and they're uh, shaking down this the owners of this shop, and they're they're being watched by a figure from the shadows who puts on the gas mask. There, like I just, just yeah, I just think it's really weird to talk about it ourselves. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. It, it, it's because it's like yo, we did this. So yeah. I mean. So these uh, these white these white uh, officers are accosting this uh, Chinese couple who who run like a, a general store, um, trying to hit them up for uh, bribe payments. Yeah, their their protection money. Right, and um, as the officer was going to uh, was threatening and to strike the the husband, um, a hand appears and grabs the baton, right, catching the attention and knocking uh, one of the officers to the ground outside yeah, where nice, we get the nice reveal. fist nice punch to the fist there and then we see yeah. kind of the classic like we're very you can tell me if we read awesome superhero comics it's like that, <laughs> that, that pose. classic hero shot yeah uh and then it's uh because it's an action comic uh, or the cause is about action comic this is essentially a long fight scene uh between this mysterious mass figure fighting the police back and mm-hmm. forth uh, they're what's very notable is that he's wearing this gas right? He's dressed up like a soldier from World War One, but he's using uh, he's using kung fu. Yes. Yeah. Very very explicit martial arts. Does like flying kick. He does uh, you know, a little, little bit of Wing Chun there. Uh, I think I think mean, you know the you know the specific move, Phil, because you're the one that draw that. Uh, honestly, I don't know the names of the moves because, like, for transparency purposes, right? Because I mean, I'm I'm not a kung fu expert, and I don't try to pretend to be. Um, you know, if anything, I'm more like an armchair uh, guy who watches like a lot of kung fu films. Um, in particular, right, because of Wing Chun, right? Who's the most popular person to make Wing Chun? Uh, well, I wouldn't say the most popular person, but within um within the Western Hemisphere, uh, would be uh, Ip Man. Uh, so been watching a lot of those Donnie Yen movies and the Grandmaster and um, the Ip Man series um, to get an understanding of like the Wing Chun and how it can be used against these uh, very variations of um, different forms of attack because the, the, the foundation of Wing Chun is primarily defense. Well, at least from Ip Man because, I mean, you can watch Ip Man three right where you get introduced to master z who's more offensive but you know that's neither here nor there um so being able to go ahead and describe i think the only thing i kind of wish i did was the the uh the mountain the mountain shoulder truck i don't i don't know what it's called <laughs> i don't know i have no idea what you're talking about okay. uh what's it called when you know what i'm talking about like when they like in the kung fu films right where they um like they would parry block and then they would throw their shoulder at the at the person knocking them down oh, okay I just call that so I just call that a shoulder rush. It has it has like a specific name to it. Like a lot of the like um Shung in um Tekken. She, that, oh, that's like see, all right. Names. So we'll talk about it when we get more to the making of. But you can tell me and Phil we did a lot of kung fu research. <laughs> yeah, research we watched a lot of <laughs> watch a lot of movies. kung fu movies. <laughs> yeah, because neither, neither shout out shout out to, shout out to the Shaw brothers. Uh uh uh. Yep. But yeah, he uh, eventually there's some back and forth. Like he's, he's not he's not invincible. Like the police do get a little bit of a jump on him, but eventually he beats the police officers handily. Uh, threat, threatens them off, like you know, you come back now, I'm gonna kick your ass. Uh, that's that's not the literal dialogue, guys. The door. <laughs> um, 
And then the husband, Mr. Chow, is just like, he thinks he's another thug, but then his wife kind of berates him. I recognize it, like, no, he just saved us. Don't shoot him. Uh, and it's kind of a surprising bit. This is very intentional. The surprise is that he speaks Chinese back at him. This mysterious mass figure, uh, and they're very caught off guard by that. Uh, as we can see, there's like little hints there, like you don't sound Chinese, and you look like. Uh, and then she cuts him off. Uh, and then you know he hands back their money, and she she offers to pay him, and he refuses. But instead, what he does do is that he picks up uh, some incense. And uh, as a thank you instead. And we see coming to the end of the comic, he climbs back into his apartment building and he unmasks himself. And we see our big twist here. Because from the, and this is very intentional from the beginning, is that you're led to believe that, like, all right, he fought in World War II, he must be a white guy. And then, like, oh, and then he's speaking Chinese? And it's like, okay, is he, like, a white guy who speaks Chinese? Or maybe he's a Chinese guy? Or maybe he's one? a Chinese guy, right? Yeah. And then the big reveal is that this is actually a young black man. Right. Um, <clears throat> who is, who's come back, essentially, to his old neighborhood, huh. um, where we see him lighting incense and paying his respects to his uh, his dead uncle. Yeah, his uncle and his Sifu, which is a... Uh, oh. The term, the term in Chinese martial arts for the the master, the teacher. Right. Um, as he he reflects on his time being away from from America, which, um, for, according to the dialogue, seems to imply he's been away for a pretty long time. Right, because uh, World War One was during what was that nineteen eleven to about nineteen eighteen. So he was fighting okay. in like America entered really late, and he's fighting in the last year. But you can tell from the dialogue mm-hmm. that he, despite that, the war's been over for two years, but it's only now he's coming back two years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it ends on this, like, nice, you know, tease for the next episode that he's here to avenge, find out who killed his uncle and avenge, avenge him. And that's our end. Black Ghost, episode one. Black Ghost, episode one. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Um. So, as we quickly or fairly quickly go through our um our our comic um let's go ahead and talk about like the inspiration for this so eric uh, what was the inspiration for you to uh come up with the story so it actually goes back a little bit um uh, to be more specific within our own personal going on is that uh in 2020 when the pandemic hit we had actually used that opportunity to pitch a graphic novel that me and Phil have been working on, uh, which was actually the same kind of space. It was like um, uh, historic, it's kind of this like historical, I don't, I don't want to talk about it too much because we might, we might, it might eventually become a thing you picked up later down the line. Right. But it was basically like inspired very much from like uh, Get Out and Lovecraft Country. Uh, all, right. the, all the Lovecraft Country was made as we were already doing it. But it's just like yes. this idea of like, well, we can tell socially relevant stories that, that deal with like issues of racism and all these important issues, but we can do it with a genre lens. Right. It doesn't have to be like the the wanksy, you know, like people people getting hoes down in protests. You know, like we can talk <laughs> about important stuff, but we can do it in a way that's still fun and entertaining. So we came up with this really cool story about like this um about a fugitive slave and like during that era with, like, uh, a genre twist, a very cool genre twist on it, the kind of, like, Western mm. horror action vibe. Um, but we pitched it, you know, 2020 and 2021. We spent this time getting the stuff together, a pitch package together. We pitched it to a bunch of agents. Sadly rejected. Sadly, sadly. Sadly rejected. Yeah. We, yeah. We, were 12, I mean... 12, we queried 12 agents. Half said no. Half did not even bother to reply. And it right. was, uh, and, uh, and and on top of that, the reason why we did that is that one of our professors has an imprint at uh, Abrams, the Megascope imprint, which is exactly this. It's it's aiming to fill exactly that hole in the current comics publishing market. Is that you know it's to tell speculative fiction stories about diverse characters from people of a marginalized background, people creators who are people of color. 
And we thought this would be our chance, right? Because, like, oh, cool. But then uh, COVID, combination of COVID and the supply chain crisis just meant publishing in general, but particularly that uh, Megascope was just super packed up. We just, you know, couple, so coupled with the rejection from all these agents, this idea was shelved. And I was pretty angry and frustrated for a while. Uh, but eventually, that actually motivated me enough to, like, all right, well, let's just move on from this project. It's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. But, like, I really like this space. Then we write this story about this, like, you know, this black protagonist, and he's dealing with these uh, his issues of historic, historical fiction, historical genre fiction. And I came up with the idea. I was like, well, what if we, what if we just do kind of the same themes and idea, but we do a different genre? Um, and I came up with the, and uh, we were both watching, both of us were watching a lot of uh, the HBO show Warrior. Yes. Uh, which I'm a huge, huge fan of. For those who don't know, long story short. Now, I'll bring it up because I, I found it first and then I had to convince He did, yes. Eric, yes. Eric found it first and had to convince me to watch it. It was a show on Cinemax. I mean, but it wasn't that hard of, it wasn't that hard of convinced though because like, you know. Yeah. So like it was a show on Cinemax and then when Cinemax no longer existed, it went on HBO Max and uh, it, it's getting renewed. But it's essentially, for those who don't know, it's um the story about like Bruce Lee. He pitched this like Kung Fu story that's set in the, in the West, the old West. But as as the uh, the legend goes, is that the network passed over it because they didn't think an Asian lead would carry the show, and they made it into the show Kung Fu. Sorry, Terry Parody. And it's like, all right, it's a it's clearly clearly a martial artist, but it's played by a white guy, and he's sort of like, well, he's half he's half white, he's half Chinese. But it's like, it's kind of BS, you know. But <laughs> the thing about it, fast forward to like a couple years ago, uh, Justin Lin. Director of my favorite movie of all, one of my favorite movies of all time, Better Luck Tomorrow. People will probably know him better as uh, director of Star Trek Beyond and like Fast, Fast and Furious yeah, Fast three and through Furious. six, and then nine. And then <laughs> uh, nine he, yeah. he was having a meeting with Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon Lee, and asked him, "Was like, you know, is that true? Is that just like, was that is that just kind of like a show business urban legend? Like, no, that's real." And she just showed him the original pitch she wrote, the original treatment. So he was like, mm-hmm. this is this is crazy. This is real. Let's make this into a show. And so it became like the actual show he envisioned, more or less. It's like it's about a martial artist comes to 1880s, 1870s San Francisco, right at the height of the Tong Wars, which for people who don't know, uh, it's like a period of like all the Tongs, Chinatown, these essentially criminal organizations. I don't have time to get to the full history and complexity of that. These like basically having like this big big, you know, the equivalent of, like, mafia fights. It's, like, but between uh, the Tong. Uh, it's just right. a really fascinating period, but there's not very little of it we know about today. And I came the idea, is like, well, let's do let's do our version of Warrior, essentially, but let's do it with this uh, black protagonist who's, like, kind of out of place. And then I finished the idea of the film, we went back and forth. The idea changed several times. Um, and I think what really clicked is that it was your idea, Phil, to suggest putting it in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And I think your your idea was originally, like, making, like, a police detective. Yeah, it was making him a police detective who used, like, his, uh, who, like, would had deal with, like, the du- the duality of, um, of the crime going on because yeah, you have yeah. the corruption but then, the police. But then, uh, I really liked the, the, the police detective idea didn't really work out for various reasons, but I love the 1920s idea uh, because, you know, I'm also a big fan of Boardwalk Empire. Uh, love that show. So I like to call this as like Kung Fu meets Boardwalk Empire. Uh, <laughs> and then particularly, I like the, as I did more research about that era and that generation, uh, it really resonated because if you know anything about that generation of Americans, the lost generation, uh, they were sadly very much like our generation of millennials that they came of age, right? They come to the prime of their life, and then what happens? The worst, the worst conflict, literally human history, until death, right? Traumatized them, you know, left them deeply scarred, psychic, uh, culturally, psychologically, right? They come home, right, scarred. They come home to what happens? There's a pan- there's a global pandemic. Maybe <laughs> some people die, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's, uh, they're just, 
you know, so their future has been wiped out because they fought in this horrible war. And then, you know, 10 years later, what happens? There's, there's another war. There's still, you know, eight years later, right? There's, eight there's years the later, worst economy, yeah. economy crash, right? The depression. And then, like, 10 years after that, they, there's another world war. It was just, yeah, that whole period was just so sad. When I told Phil, that just blew his mind. Because it's just like, oh, my God, it's just like us. Yes, ex- exactly. Because, you know, it's crazy. And then on top of that, uh, to make it even more poignant, that when the president, the person who became president in 1920, uh, is it Coolidge? No, it's Harding. Uh, uh, he Harding. was campaigning on a, is literally, his, his campaign presidential slogan was back to normal. Back this like old white guy, you know. We're gonna, we have to go back to normal, you know. Anyone else sound really familiar? Yeah, and all these progressive mm. reforms that sort of been reversed before World War One. Um, so yeah, and then and then that's where I. So like a combination of that, and then the idea that really maybe click was that. Well, it's like, well, how am I gonna like write? Like, how do I justify it as like black African American dude like girls up in Chinatown in San Francisco? That came up with the idea. It's like, oh, what are these half black, half Chinese? Right, and then that's when the gears really started to pull together, and we started like coming up with concept, created backstory. Yeah, um, which we're not going to go into because that stuff will be revealed in the comic. At later oh yeah, of course, line. no spoilers here. Yeah, yeah, no spoilers here. But it's like this is and... this is where like it's like the perfect intersection of all these interesting conflicts and obstacles that both both black people and Chinese, Asian people, Chinese people have to face in this era of history. Right, which I feel like tends to be overlooked, especially within this, you know, idea of like, oh, you know, um, Asians being used as like this model minority and, you know, this this forgettableness of like, yo, every, it was essentially everyone against the world at this point, um, whether you were Chinese, black, um, uh, Mexican, because I know that they were starting to come up from the um, from Mexico during that point as well. Yeah, but, um, but of so, course, you know, each group, as as it tends to be under white supremacy, patriarchal capitalism, they. They did a good enough job kind of painting them against each other instead of rising up. Instead of rising up together. Yeah, yeah. so which we kind of hope this comic will explore. But on top of that, you know, on top of all that cool, like, you know, cultural context, sociology, there's just a lot of kung fu, cool, awesome kung fu action. Yeah, yeah. Woo, man, I'm here. I'm here for the kung fu action. Like, that is probably the most fun uh, part of drawing is trying to figure out like okay what's the best way to highlight the action scene as well as to create a compelling camera angle um outside of like something we would see in in a film um because right for me right because i'm the one who has to focus on on the visuals um trying to get it down uh comics are not movies they 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 can't be um and scott snyder is a weirdo for taking watchmen and using the using the entire comic as a storyboard because it those are two separate mediums yeah Um, and especially something as kinetic as as the martial arts genre which is like it really, really shines. It can really only be reaches full potential visually in in like a live action medium or an, or or animation, something with motion. So that's really hard to make it work in uh, a print medium like comics. And it's probably why so many martial arts comics are are fantasy. Right? There's a lot of elements of of. I mean, Dragon Ball Z is the is the er example. Yeah, the like, primary example. Yeah, of that. just there's a bunch of like power ups and energy blasts and all that stuff. But well, we were very much and I and I briefly toyed with the idea. It was like, what if we what if we put like maybe we make it like Iron Fist a little bit, you know? And they just like cheat attacks. <laughs> but I was like, no. Yeah. The real appeal is that there just isn't really like a grounded martial arts story comic. So it'd be kind of cool for us mm-hmm. to like really focus on making the moves. Like using real moves and making it as accurate as possible. Plus, you know, I saw Woo Assassins and it's just like, yeah, I've done all that magic. <laughs> yeah, which which is um absolutely funny because um thinking about like Iron Fist because I feel like at some point in time, right, there's always a popular genre like during it during its time, right? So during the the late seventies, early eighties, Kung Fu was like really big. 
So of course, right, Marvel had Shang Chi, um, DC had uh, Richard Dragon, the Karate and Kid, <laughs> from the, the Karate, the and karate Kid Heroes. from Legion of Superheroes. No more. And, and um, kind of awkward with the Karate Kid movie ten years later. <laughs> Right, and you know, trying to trying to bring that type of medium into uh into the com- into comics medium, and um you know doing I would say doing a fairly a fairly good job of keeping it more or less grounded, right? Because I mean, Iron Fist, um yes, he has the the mystical power of the dragon, so his his fist glows and he can break through walls, but he's essentially fighting you know I wouldn't say average, uh, slightly above average villains, um. Or I guess what's the, what's the guy's name? Um, uh, Davos. Thank you. Who was like, yeah, who's like the evil equivalent? Um, Shang Chi, uh, going around trying to fight, trying to defeat Fang. Um, <laughs> Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu. Big Fang Fu, the alien dragon. The alien dragon, right? But I mean, for the most part, though, he was a he was a pretty street level, uh, street level hero for the most part. Um, so and then. I mean, for me, a big influence uh, on my on my part would be the uh, Fist of the North Star from um, Burrison and uh, Tets- Tetsuo Hara. Yeah, the martial arts, and, the martial arts, Mushia story in a post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it <laughs> is, and like. Slow. It, it's it's so good because I I own the first two volumes. Okay, and, I've only you know, I've only seen like you know the jokes on on YouTube right with like the you know da, 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 and it, the da, yeah which I mean which is which is funny because it, it ends up turning into a meme but I mean overall like the story the story is amazing I thoroughly enjoy it right. for something that came out in the the late eighties like it's it's still great um still holds up to today like it's very timeless but also another thing too is the way. Japanese manga does um, action scenes, right? A lot of focus is on speed, right? And comics are a static medium, so how do you achieve speed, right? It's through the use of lines. So, you know, using speed lines, um, diagonals create um, create action, right? So use, so putting those two, two things together in order to create like a very dynamic static image, but still create the feeling of movement is uh is really really cool really really dope and i use that as my inspiration and um crafting this so i guess we talk a little more heavily about the craft because i want to ask you how do you approach drawing this so the way i scripted this um because i think i think a lot of people look at this and think i mean mean, and of course you know you and ken did a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the visually this is because it's mostly a big fight scene and a lot Mm -hmm. of dialogue but i actually approached this like all the, I was actually really specific. I imagine this fight as, as like I broke down the the beats in the script. Like I really imagined this fight scene like step for step for step. Because uh, you know I just that's just how my brain works. I watch so many so many uh, films in general, but like especially like action films and in particular, I was very inspired by uh, the Hallway Five and Daredevil. Mm-hmm. I use I use a lot. I pull. I wrote in the script. I pulled a lot of those. I think I said literally in the script. Yeah, he does. He literally said script. He does the 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 the, the flip. Yeah, he, yeah, he does. The, drop. He does the, yeah, the flip kick from Daredevil. Uh, yeah. So for me, because um, you know, that's the very first episode of the series. It's it's all about like kind of giving us a taste of of the story and giving us a, a taste of the character of this conflict. Uh, while at the same time, you're not just dumping a bunch of info. So I was, like, very much, like, approaching teasing, just kind of teasing the reader. And, uh, but yeah, and, and with the action scene, I rolled very specific and laid out. So I'm kind of curious, how did you uh, approach, because it, it, the final product is not exactly what I scripted. So how did you kind of, I'm kind of curious, how did you approach by actually drawing? Because <laughs> the other thing, to give credit where credit is due, like, it's easy for me to write you know they fight it's a lot different than draw actually drawing right so i mean honestly it's it's it comes down to like two things right like how skilled i am as well as time um i i i would like to think that i'm i'm fairly fairly competent in in drawing um 
this is not just me trying to be humble or anything. Like this is just you know uh, imposter syndrome that that creeps on in the back of my mind. So I have to. So that's how I talk. But overall, I would say that reading the script, trying to understand what to do, as well as trying to figure out the best way to highlight what you've written as as the writer, but also staying within what I can realistically do within a certain time frame. Uh, right. So like, I, I wrote that it ended with him doing the chain punch. That the wing the wing chunk chain punch that you the wing chain chain punch that it man right. You told me that you weren't able to pull it off. Yeah, no, because like to do something like that would require me to like sit there and focus on drawing the a bunch of hands repeatedly, um, as well as like getting the angle right, and I I just couldn't do it, so I had to change it up to a more um nuance uh thing where it's like more of a setup, especially because of the the defending. Um, because like, I, I, I can see it in my mind, like the idea of like, you know, guarding the nightstick, right. Hitting him with the punch and then, you know, hitting him over and over again. It was just a matter of, you know, several late night backs to backs drawing it. Um, and to my own detriment, I, I, I should have thumbnailed it, but, um, oh, really? I, I thought, I, I thought you had thumbnailed the beginning. I, I, in, in the beginning I, I was doing it. Yes. But. And um, it was like a combination of doing thumbnails slash like actual pages, um, because again, because, simply because of time. Um, so trying to figure it out, and I draw, I drew it. I think I spent the most time on that scene trying to figure out how to make it transition seamlessly from that defense to the one punch to the chain punch. But it just it was just wasn't clicking together. So I had to uh, compensate for the guard, the hit. And then into that that final kick, um, because it, it felt more it felt more uh, realistic to that, especially thinking about the defense aspect of Win Chung. So when we get to episode um, two and episode three, we're gonna see it from a different light, but still highlight those same similar aspects. All right, and then uh, something to give like a nice useful tip for people who want to uh, try approaching drawing fight scenes especially, particularly when that's really grounded, is that a lot, a lot of the, because you use a lot of, you know, actual, because your style is very, it's kind of grounded and realistic, it's not super cartoony. Right. Um, so a lot of the poses and stuff, you use a lot of reference, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, thank God for reference, because, I mean, I, I, I mean, a lot of them, I had to take the pictures of it for myself, because it was just faster. <laughs> um, like or we're, you, we're t- what did you use specifically? I know you said Eatmon, the Eatmon films. Uh, it it the Eatman films, um, one through four, Master Z, um, also the the raid, um, the raid two specifically. I was using that as well. It's not Wing Chung, but um, uh, Pilat Sinak. I think that's how you, how you pronounce it. You're asking the wrong person. I'm, okay, I'm not, sorry. I'm, the I'm, not, I'm not Indonesian, Malaysian. Uh, so in, in, <laughs> In the Indonesian, right? Yeah, Indonesian uh, martial arts. Um, but like Wing Chun, it also focuses on like defense. Um, well, at least the way I see um, uh, Iko Owais do it, anyways. Um, so like trying to like take all those things and, and blend it together because like especially in the true fashion of Bruce Lee, right, and his style of uh, Jeet Kune Do, um, trying to trying to take from different things and blend it into one because you know you can't be a monolith right you have to take from all aspects of different different walks of life in order to create something that is uh foundationally stable so that was that was the idea that i was going for yep and that was for anyone listening who really wants to up your drawing or get into comics and drawing the most at least for me, I'm not going to speak for Bill. The most important lesson we learned in terms of our drawing we got from Grabskill was to use more reference. Oh, yeah, use 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 reference. Art, artists um, in general just don't use enough reference. They don't. And I honestly, because it's a combination, it's a, it's a dual combination that I've realized, and I also teach this to my students as well, is that you want to use reference, always use reference, but also increase your visual library, right? Because then, like, let's say you have the reference, but you don't have it at the angle that you want, you can, at least you have an understanding of 
okay, this is how the human body works. So I see it from this way. What if I were to change it, the camera angle to showcase it this way, right? Using your knowledge of anatomy, using your knowledge of how the human body is able to squash and stretch in order to, you know, uh, recreate that same idea and, you know, keep it, keep it simple. Right. Um, yeah. Like, like don't go to, if you have some like weird complicated angle or pose, like why go to the hassle of trying to imagine it for yourself? It's like, let me just either search up a picture from the internet right? or I have someone pose, actually do the pose. I think a picture <laughs> or I draw exactly. Pose, yeah. exactly. And I mean, to, to to re- really reiterate on this, right? Um, because I know a lot of people, and I've I've recommended myself, um, using three D, uh, using three D posers, but also at the same time, you don't want to be too heavily reliant on them, um, because it will make your art feel stiff. Um, so you want to find a a proper balance between using these poster, I mean, using the poser, using your own visual reference, because like, like I said, it's a hell of a lot faster, as well as um, keeping, you know, your lines nice, tight, but at the same time loose, which is weird because you got tight and loose because those are two, two opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. But um, being able to like really highlight that idea um, within the human figure, right, because we are very organic you got to go ahead and make sure that um, you're 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 getting you're getting it correctly, um, because for example, right that that kick in the in the beginning scenes, right of him kicking the the German shoulder, oh, that was my foot. Yeah, that, that, you, that, like, was, I, that was your literal foot. You, you, that's right. That was my that was yeah. So I had to like I had to do I had to do several stretches. <laughs> my God, it's like sitting in the chair for a long time. I had to do several stretches, right. And then, like, have the camera, like, tie it, tie it, like, hold it to my hand and then throw the kick and then, like, record it and then go back to the video and see, like, the proper angle where I could, like, freeze it and then use that as my uh, thing. Because, I mean, that's funny. it's that's very funny. one thing. Yeah, because, like, when, you, when you're thinking about it in a first-person uh, first perspective, right, everything still feels, like, the same, even if you're, like, your head is tilted to the side or whatever. Um, it's still a bit naturalistic, so I just, you know, I had to just do it like that. Mm, that reminds me, something I should point out, just to show people that I'm not one of those, like, hack writers that just put, like, uh, you know, a couple lines, let the artist do the work, right? Because there are some, like, writing novelist type of people. Like, I actually, uh-huh. to help Phil, I actually thumbnailed the opening sequence myself. Yes, he did. And honestly, like, that helped a lot. It's also a lot right? of fun because my drawing style is very different, and on top of that, I wasn't really trying to make it look super nice because they're just thumbnails. So I was like drawing right. like stick figures, and they're holding like the pointy knife, like super. <laughs> it was so much fun, but like it was more about when you're doing thumbnails, not about like detail and precise, you know, proportion ratio. It's, it's about just getting the composition, the basic you know, perspective in the scene. And that is something I'm, I am very, I'm not great at the actual illustration, but I am really good at, at, at doing that. So it was a way for me, and I highly recommend for anyone who collaborates with an artist, if you're a writer, to like do yes. thumbnail scene, particularly if it's like, you have a very specific picture or if, a, or if it's a very complicated scene, it helps to like thumbnail, even a basic thumbnail and send that to your artist. So they get some idea of what you're, you're thinking. Cause like, this is more like the beginning is more or less exactly as a thumbnail. Yeah, because I mean, <clears throat> right, as a writer, it's my job as the artist to bring your idea to life and whatever, you know, help that you can bring, like being detailed with like, oh, I want this fight scene to be like similar to how it was in <clears throat> this um, this movie or show or, you know, doing thumbnails. Of, like, All right, here is um, how I'm envisioning it. Right. And it, which will allow me to go back and like, you know, essentially bring your vision to life, but also add um, little sprinkles of my own touch in order to really capture the visual elements of 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 the scene. Yeah, that's why I always hate when people online always argue about who does more work, the artist or the writer. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, ideally, they both they're, it's like a marriage. They should be an equal partnership. Right, like in terms of like time and labor, obviously the artist does more work, 
but like you know in, in the in the ideal environment they're both collaborating and they're both contributing uh equally if in different ways um mm-hmm. uh I had I had a thought. Uh, let's talk, let's look at this talk about the colors. Let's do a shout out the cat, and we'll go in more detail when we get to have cat on. Uh, James cat, yeah. my cat. But yeah, the colors. Uh, and I don't know if he's listening to this. So I don't know if he listens to our podcast. <laughs> but the colors are like like really knocked apart. That just like really took because again the world for the world people who don't know the colors do not get enough respect in the comics world or and especially among non comics people. Like this really mm-hmm. added to the storytelling, like and really elevated it. It's a is is much better because the um, the idea that I said to Ken, you and I we discussed is like, well, we want we don't want like a this is not it's grand the story is grounded, but the, we don't want the colors to be like ultra realistic with like grays and browns because that's boring. Right. Uh, so we want we want something kind of moody and atmospheric and uh, noirish. And I said to Ken, it's like, you know, when he asked me about the idea of the color pod, I was, like, kind of stuffed. I was just like, uh, make it look like criminal. <laughs> like, Andrew Baker and Sean Phillips and whoever the colorist. Can't remember the guy's name right now. But like, make it look like that. And, you know, he's a big fan. Of, he's a big fan of, of, of that series and their work, too. So he actually uh, told us that he got the idea from uh, Reckless and the color scheme. There's a lot more abstract coloring and abstract shapes, which I thought was super cool. Um, I don't know. You like you you came with a color palette. Well, what were your what was your thought process behind it? So, so the thought process behind it was twofold, right? So we see we are in this uh, two separate spaces. So we're in World War World War One in the the trenches in the middle of France, and we're in Chinatown, right? Um, Chinatown at night. You Chinatown at night, right? Yeah. So um, the the coming up with the color scheme for the World War One was a bit easier, simply because it was like, all right, I want the feel of dirt, feel of military, feel of old school. So greens, uh, browns, uh, hint, little hints of gray, trying to like get an understanding of like that sense of realism. Um, I am a big fan well i was a big fan of military shooters uh and particularly gears of war which is very well known for their their color palette of browns and grays um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. as as i was call of duty so like you know bringing that type of idea and understanding to it made sense um to to bring into that but then getting into chinatown right the biggest thing that you told me was the because of the the big earthquake in 1906, right? Trying to rebuild everything within San Francisco. Um, yeah, Chinatown, like it, like the Chinatown we know today, but even back then, like like pre the Chinatown pre earthquake does not exist anymore. Like ninety nine percent of it was demolished from my research. Show me. Right. So like you know, and then not only that, but also trying to bring in tourists in order to to make money. Yeah. So it right? looks. It looks. That's why a lot of any Chinatown in America or all over the world, but especially in the one in San Francisco, like, it looks super oriental mm-hmm. with all the like, you know, action. like the thing, like like places in China don't look like that. Uh, but they they wanted to like draw in tourists, mainly white people, so they kind of uh, traded on the like the exotic orient and you know see all the stuff exactly. You know, trying to trying to make it sexy, trying to bring that in. So. um so coming up with that color palette, and I'm also a big fan of uh, pink and cyan, um, aka bisexual lighting. <laughs> it just, it just, it just like honestly, like it goes against all of color theory, but it just works. And you know, for a crime noir type of story, right, bringing invoking that idea of like Miami Vice or whatever. Yeah, I was gonna say I like just, uh, Blade Runner because we very Blade. Yeah, Blade Runner, Miami Vice type of atmosphere, I think would work, especially within um, this context here. Is it realistic lighting to the 1920s? No, but it's a comic book, so 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 what? Yeah, that's the advantage. It's like we can It's color. We the way we want to use color, and Ken was totally on board. Is and it fits with his color style. So it's more about evoking mood and atmosphere, uh, and and the tone of the story because this is. Uh, you know, I very much imagine this very kind of noir-ish type of story, but with you know, come to action. All right. Um, so, is there anything else? Uh, I don't want to spend too much time just like 
stroking, stroking ourselves. Stroking our egos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I was gonna say stroking our things for sure. Cause, oh my god. You know, I, I'm not the, I'm not the kind of, and it probably explains why my lack of success so far. I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that really likes self promotion. Like it's just, it's just. I think it's a slippery slope to being like a narcissistic asshole. <laughs> uh, so I was, uh, but you know, like I said, audience engagement is 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 one of the judging criteria. But it's a cool story. Yes. I'm quite proud of it. And uh, regardless, I'm gonna tell you right now, listeners. Regardless of whether or not we get picked up by Webtoon, we will be continuing the series on our. Uh, so you can look forward to more episodes, barring any unforeseen circumstances for either of us. Right, so um, we we still don't have the schedule down packed just yet, but um, luckily this was a first step into the foray. I think it's a strong um, first step. I think I think it is. No, yeah, definitely. We we came in wearing Tim's and we was like stomping somebody out. Like we <laughs> we really we really we really did all that. So um, once we start to figure out the the schedule, and I mean, of course, it's just the first one, so you get a little a little taste of it. Plus, you know, um, if anyone from Web Two is listening, if we have to get picked up, then all right, well, you know. Oh yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, we'll be there but the, um, that DJ Khalid album, suffering for success. But yeah, is there any any final thoughts about the comic you wanted to add? Get off, talk more about the making of. Any, anything you particularly like? Anything that you thought was like a super pain that maybe that's like damn near? Why did you uh, make me draw this? Honestly, it's just I mean it comes from me and my lack of like understanding of uh, nuance. So just like the the ending where he's talking with the people and you know because it's like you know I had so much fun, high impact fight scene, look World War One, you know destroying destroying property, you know getting punched in the face, and then it's like hey. Yeah, yo, you know, you speak Chinese. Wow, that's crazy. Whoa, let me pick up these things. Um, that's that was a little bit hard for me, but um, it also comes to my understanding of like exaggeration within the subtlety. So like trying to push it to the max, but still keeping it as you know subtle as possibly can. So that's just an exercise that I myself would just need to continue to practice on. Because like even though you know you feel like you've reached you reached your point, there's always something to continue to work on yep subtle acting and and you know it's a very different skill set from like big action scenes mm-hmm. it's funny you mentioned that because this, this is the scene that i mean i love i really like i really enjoyed writing the scripting the fight scene although it was yeah. a lot of work and i don't plan to be that prescriptive in future episodes <laughs> uh, i just want i just want to give a try out to see if i could do it um, all right but i really i re- and this is actually my favorite part yeah, because it's also because it's like it's a lot of action, and the thing about this contest, like character and narrative, is one of the criteria. But we only have so much time and space. One episode, so you can't just dump a bunch of like exposition about backstory. Exposition. So for me, it was yeah. like really walking the line of like hinting at this character, uh, and I and I I love writing dialogue. There's not a lot of it in this episode, but I really love dialogue. So for me, it was just like kind of. <laughs> giving the surprises like the balance of like mystery and and uh you know reveal how much how much do i foreshadow how much do i uh lead people in the dark until the big reveal which uh talk about inspiration that was uh i think i wrote the script like this is like the miles morales reveal Yes, you did, and that's exactly what I took. I was like, "Whoa, Miles Morales reveal!" You know what? What? Why not pay uh, pay homage to Sarah uh, Sarah Pichelle, yeah, and, um, and, Pichelle, yeah, Pichelle. That was a, that, cause that you know that big reveal that took the world by storm. And, yeah. and you can tell you can tell our our superhero influences in uh, in this story. It's like something I want to talk about before is like why you can fight a gas mask. Is um, funny story. Originally, that was just going to be the first episode. So I was thinking, like, you know, like, I got the idea from Scout, uh, which I know you're also a huge fan of, Phil. Ooh, I love me Scout. Scout. So it's the uh, Jason Aaron crying comic on a, uh, on a Native American reservation. And the thing that I right. like that doesn't make any sense for the rest of the series, it never comes up again, is that the first episode, the main character comes in, comes in with nunchucks. And just busts everybody <laughs> up, and then we never see him use it ever again. 
which was which is hilarious because like the first blurb on the back of the book was like yo you know um he comes back you know wielding nunchuck wielding guy uh native american comes through to you know bust ass and you only see it within that first yeah and and it's never mentioned i don't think he even mentions why he did it or where he got it from (laughs) but but i didn't but like the first episode has to hook people and i wanted something like some cool like extra unusual thing I was like, okay, what if he's a soldier, right? He's a, he's a World War One soldier, so it would be kind of cool. He just he fights him a gas mask. It's also, like, part of the reveal is that, like, you know, I wanted to, like, find a way to hide the reveal, but I was like, I don't want to just wear a regular mask. Like, it's a little too, like, uh, Batman Begins with, like, Bruce just running around the, like, ski mask. Oh, with the... the so I was like, what if we just put a gas mask? I mean, like, you know, I also love the Justice Society of America, the Golden Age Sandman. So he fights around with a gas yeah. mask, the classic one. So I thought, let's just make a nice nod. And then, I, I, then the idea, I think we both like the idea so much. It's like, you know, let's just let's just make it a regular part of the character. Make... Exactly. And um, I think the, the trouble about it, too, was like, okay, cool. We have this gas mask, but we don't want to still reveal his identity. And gas masks back then, they just cover your face. It's not covering your... Yeah, they also didn't look very cool, to be honest. Most gas masks were one look kind of silly. Yes. I mean, except for the German ones, because, like, you know, say say what you want about them back then, because they were, they were even monsters, but, oh, my God, do they have some style. Um, <laughs> and I think and I think that's that was also a big thing, too, because, like, you see within that first, um, the first couple panels where, you know, the, the American soldiers, their gas masks are much different from the German gas masks, but when we see Black Ghost fighting, he's wearing a German gas mask, so, you know, that's supposed to... I feel like, anyways, it's supposed to play a little bit later on within the series, and you know, it's kind of weird to you know run around with that front backpack rather than just having the gas mask itself. So, yep, that's uh, yep, fun, fun story. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed reading it as much as we enjoyed making it, and uh, yeah. as much as it kills me, you know, like, share, smash that subscribe. I'm not gonna say <laughs> I can't do it. It's awful. It feels awful. It feels dirty, yes. It feels it feels very weird. It feels very weird, but you know that's that's the kind kind of world we live in now. As a, I guess at this point now we are I guess official content creators. Yeah, we're, like, we're, God, we're content creators. I hate, content I hate that term. No, we're not. We're not content creators. We are comic artists. F all that. All right. So normally Eric starts it off, but I'm gonna start off because I'm full of Fleming and I'm Eric Wong. All right, and we are Ginseng Robot. Yep. <laughs> and 90s, 2000s TV show. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we are Kung Fu. No, that Kung Fu is in the Kung, Kung Fu. Fu. We are. Well, we'll, 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 we're the CW 2018 Kung Fu. Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. There we <laughs> you go. Know, that show's pretty bad, but. Because thinking about it, it's it's kind of hard. Like I can't remember any sort of syndicated martial arts. No, show we are in the early two thousand. W M A Masters is that what that show was called? All oh, the the fake Mortal Kombat show for kids. Yeah, dude. There we go. I love. I watched the hell out of that when I was like uh, less than eight. Uh, no, I gotta look. I need to know. I need to know what that WMAC Masters. We are WMAC Masters, right? You are Machine. <laughs> I still remember their name. You are Machine. He's the only black. I think he's the only black fighter. The only black and I am uh, Tsunami. No, Tsunami was lame. Tsunami. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I, I remember the show because I remember uh, Sharon Lee. She was also the host. Yeah, bring it back full circle. Yeah. 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 We are WAC Masters. Peace out, everyone.